Hi folks, I'm Adam Skandarani and you are listening to the Brilliant Dog Pod, where we're talking all things dog training. The only rules, it's got to be effective, it's got to be fair, and it's got to be fun. Hey everyone, I'm here with Liza Rader of Focus Dog Training and we are going to be talking about this amazing opportunity, learning opportunity for everyone. We are presenting next week a webinar double hitter that we have titled, I Have a Treasure. We're going to be talking all about ball feelings and resource guarding. So, hey, Liza, remind everyone what your pronouns are. Hi, I'm Liza, and he is fine. Awesome. So, what... What do you think has interested people the most about this doubleheader so far? So what I find really interesting is that people are really excited about the toy feelings portion and less excited about the resource guarding. And I think this is hilarious because as we keep discussing, uh, they're the same thing. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) so a little bit of background for everybody. Of course, Adam is a like wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dealing with resource guarding issues. And I am a lifelong member of the Bonkers High Drive Gun Dog Club. So like having really, really big feelings about stuff is half of what I do. Um and really what is retreating if not a little bit of resource guarding that serves us as opposed to freaks us out. So a lot of these behaviors are coming from a very similar emotional place where we have dogs who are maybe getting too hyper about their toys as opposed to getting too barky, snappy, growly about their toys. So there's so much crossover. So I find it really interesting how people are very excited about toys and not very excited about growling. Right. And I here's something that I find very interesting. Oftentimes I find that what can look like drive and toy drive is often just the desire for possession and resource guarding. I will die on this hill. I will die on this hill. I really will. So many dogs do not want to tug with the thing. They don't want you to throw their thing. They want to have the thing and they're going to, they're willing to get into a fight or do whatever it takes to get that thing. But it's not about the thing that we think. It's not about the game that we think is going on. It's about their feelings of having ownership of that item. And I find, as someone who works with sport teams as well as non-sport teams, um, something that I find is I can tell how good of a relationship someone has based on their toy skills with their dogs and based on how not specifically just their toy skills but specifically how their dog feels about playing with toys with them oh my god absolutely and it's not even like uh like you say toy skills and i think when you say when you say say toy skills we have this like image of like someone like megan foster just this, yeah like, exquisitely trained process of this cooperative game that's been shaped over many many months and that everybody understands and is used with like extreme precision and it can absolutely mean that but it can also mean like what do you do when your dog picks up a stuffy or yeah. a leaf what about like your eight-week-old puppy picks up a leaf like how that interaction goes is so 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 revealing 
It really is. And I find, so funnily enough, being a resource guarder, I'm a huge fan. Oh, I'm going to get canceled for this. I'm a huge fan of ditching the trading game. I am very particular. I'm so going to get canceled for this. I'm very particular at how I like to teach dogs how to trade and when to trade and what they're trading for. However, with resource guarders, I try to minimize the amount of trading that we do with them. Um, And one thing I do with my puppies that I bring home is I won't trade them for the rocks and leaves and everything they pick up. I just take it away from them and I make it so... Like I make it as much of a non-issue as possible and follow it up with a treat on occasion, but really I don't want it to be a thing. I don't want them to feel like I took something away from them. It's very nonchalant and it's very conversational in how I do this. Yeah. And I'm also going to bet that you are not taking away every single thing that they pick up. Oh, gosh, no. I'll take away a rock from a dog, but generally if they have a leaf, I don't care. If it's not going to kill them, I don't care. Yes. Like I, I've, I've had dogs pick up used needles. I care about that. I care about you eating styrofoam. One time my colleague found a chocolate cake in a field. Who knows how that happened. Um, But if it's not going to kill you, I don't care if you have it. Agreed. I teach a retrieve. I have retrievers. I work primarily with gun dogs. I teach a retrieve. And that is not a trade. No. Right? Because a trade, the food is coming before they give up the item. A retrieve is a choice that they have. And the fear reinforcer comes afterwards. And as anybody who has ever worked with me for any length of time will tell you that, like, my dog asks for things by retrieving things. It's great. Uh, It's better than any other request behavior that I've experienced. I think it's adorable. Um, But so many of the dogs that we work with, for whatever reason, come with really really big feelings about items and objects and playing with dogs and as humans we come into the relationship with equally big feelings about items Mm. and how we play with the dog the amount of times i've had to talk people back from the ledge of like again your puppy picking up a leaf is not like it's probably not going to kill it you're probably okay and things like your dog even like your your sport gun dog puppy wanting to parade a bumper is not actually an emergency no right and we have so much wrapped up in this we have all of our anxieties about what might happen to our dog if they eat something and we hear a million horror stories about dogs eating things and dying or having to have horrible surgeries um, and we have all of our sport hopes and dreams wrapped up in these behaviors. We have all our working hopes and dreams wrapped up in these behaviors. Um, we have really big feelings about our nice shoes that our puppy picked up. Like this issue can get so fraught so quickly. Yeah, it really can. And I am, I assume you see this as well. But something that I see quite often is that we people, us humans, um, can often take perfectly normal, non-guardy dogs and accidentally create guarding behaviors in them. The face that you are making right now. (laughs) 
So I don't know if you notice it, but I notice that a lot is that we take these normal dogs doing normal things and create guardy feelings in them by constantly taking their things away. Absolutely. And we also start to create, so, so that like, as we do our double header, that this is like your half of it is the guardy guardy stuff. Yeah. And what I see more so in my practice is the other half of that picture, which is we have created obsession and frenetic energy Mm -hmm. and the inability to disengage so where the dogs that you work with might freeze, stop, growl, my dogs that I see cannot drink water. Yeah. I know a dog who almost drowned retrieving. Every, every, it feels like every year we hear about a toller puppy who drowns or gets water yeah. toxicity because they're retrieving. Um, dogs who will hurt themselves continue to work on hurt on injuries um cannot listen to cues if a ball is even in the room these types of behaviors Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i see the sort of and what i find is like and and this is why i was a little surprised when when people are more interested in the like my dog gets nutty and obviously this is sample size because this is people who follow me on social media so we're like talking about nuttiness all the time but still um we got a little bit more interested in the nuttiness as opposed to the growly because so often I see a dog struggling and what I hear is they're having so much fun mm. versus so often with guarding, what I see is this dog is fine. Get your hand out of his face and he'll stop growling at you, right? Exactly. Like when I was a kid and I was growing up with the dogs, I was told, do not touch them when they're eating. Do no. not go near them when they have a bone. If they growl oh. at you, what did you do? Yeah. And so it's, it, yeah, it was really interesting to me. Again, so a little bit of selection bias there. But, and we've touched upon this a couple of times now, and we've said it outright, I guess, once, but like, this is a discussion you and I have had on multiple occasions in 17 different fonts, but essentially the same thing. These two issues are two sides of the same coin. And they are very determined by genetics. Like I know so many of these behaviors can be determined by genetics. So like recently, like you helped me out on a case with a dog that presented as being really hyperactive. Yeah. And when we looked at it, we realized like, hey, if this was a terrier, people would have been in the ER with bites by now. But he's a gun dog. So he doesn't know, like he doesn't have the genetics to like bite down. He was just smashing his face into people. Mm So the presentation of these emotional experiences can be really, really changed by what the genetic information the dog is has exactly. getting. You are much more likely to see bites from resource guarding with anything with a terrier in it than you are likely to see it with anything with like, I don't know, non-bitey soft mouth dogs doodles so i have a pet theory and i want to be really clear for everybody listening that this is a theory and i don't actually have evidence but one day i want to figure out like i don't know how you'd study this i don't know what it would look like but i'm really really curious that so much of the doodle golden spaniel retriever situation swallowing things 
is resource guarding. That's your turn so, to make a face. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this is something that I say all the time. And I say this in my puppy classes when I used to teach them. And because I would get a lot of labs and golden retrievers and spaniels and all these types of different dogs. And one thing that I would tell everybody is be careful with how you're taking things away from your dog. Again, be careful how you're trading items. Um, and I'm particularly looking at labs and golden retrievers here because these are dogs. They well, not just that, but these are dogs that are just bred to put their mouths on things and retrieve objects over and over and over. It is it is hardwired in them at this point. So we're taking breeds like that, and then we're asking them constantly taking away the dirty sock, taking away the shoe, taking away the baseball cap, taking away the this, taking away the that, to the point where they understand that your presence means something is going to be taken away from them, and they begin to associate you if this is all you're doing with your puppy and for a lot of people this is all you're doing with your puppy they do um, it so much you guys you do it so much that that this is kind of where i find and again i have no evidence other than my own anecdotal evidence for this but this is where i find shifting trigger resource guarding kind of comes into play because they are like you're coming towards me i don't have a thing let me look around oh it must be and grab this a thing. thing and the thing the thing it that's must important to remember be about that thing. these guys also is that the instinct to pick things up and carry it around doesn't go away when having something in their mouth is punished exactly right it's if anything so, it's almost reinforced yeah it's almost strengthened and because of that, what I've seen a lot is I get the thing and I pick it up and I hold it and then I panic because shit, <laughs> like, what do I do with this thing? Oh God. And I've also noticed like, so my dog has an incredibly intense retrieving drive. Like he yes. picks things up. That came, I have video of him. He'd been at my house. Like, it's not even like day one. He had been at my house for a grand total of 10 minutes. I've got <laughs> video of him grabbing a toy and being like, hell yeah, I got this thing like, that came installed. And I, I, his half-sister was retrieving birds at five weeks old. So very, very, very heavy, heavy, heavy instinct. Yeah. And I have definitely observed in him that when he doesn't know what to do with a thing in his mouth, if I don't have a system around that, he will panic. And so like, for example, I have somewhere I have video earlier in the year of it was it was a hot summer walk at the end of the walk. I, offered I know which water one you're talking and about. And he had found a disgusting old tennis ball on the walk, which of course it's disgusting and he found it and therefore it's 10 times better than anything that I anything could ever give else. Um including water. Including what and I put the water down for him at the car and he visibly starts to panic. Until I gave him a cue to tell him what to do a thing. And then because of that cue, he knows that we have a system. It's very clear. There's not a lot of conflict around it. I just put my foot on top of the ball and he was able to drink, but he kept his eye on the ball the whole time. And then as of course soon as he, he was done, he, it was there for him to take back. And he only was able to eat or to drink because he knew that I would have that ready for him when he was done. And I've practiced a lot, him holding a toy, not even I'm going to take it from you and then you eat the cookie. I'm going to hold it. You put it in my hand and I'm going to hold it right next to your face while you eat. So you can just snatch it and then you're ready to go. 
It's almost like you were reverse luring with the toy. And it's the only way that if he has something really, really, really special, that's the only way he feels truly safe yeah. putting it down. Because and there's he, clarity around it. There's, there's no trickery. And there's something about them like letting it go that's really hard, which is why one of the reasons I trained a retrieve to hand. So when they have something and they're like, oh my God, I have a treasure. I'm like, that's amazing. I would like you to put it here. And they're like, cool. And then they can do a behavior to earn reinforcement. This is not trading. This is the opposite of trading. And this is, this is the reinforcement. The food comes after the fact. So it's not even bribery. Exactly. And they they know how it works. Yes. And it's a choice. They can also choose not to. There are times when I ask, I also had video of Biscuit um, on the beach and the cue to retrieve to hand is, is putting a hand out while he has a toy and the hand comes down and he drive buys the toy and it sort of he yep. almost touches the hand and keeps going and then he drops it and he picks it up. And then the next video, the hand comes down and he puts it like pushes it into the hand and steps back. Now, these videos are taken about a minute and 30 seconds apart. The difference between the first video and the second video, in the first video, he had to pee. So what he did was he was like, oh, I should give it back. No, but if I give it back, they're going to throw it. So I can't do that right now because I have to pee. And so he picked it up where he dropped it and he took it, took it over to a fallen log and he peed on the log and he came back and was like, cool, now I can go. Okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Right. So he understands the system and he can work it. Like Leslie McDevitt had said, first, the dog needs to understand there is a system and then they need to know that they can work the system. Yeah. I love that. It's a very clear cut piece of information making things super black and white for them and then letting them figure out how to work that. And not taking quote-unquote non-compliance and disobedience, quote-unquote, and not taking that for that, but just taking it for the face value fact that it's just information. Something wasn't right. And he told you immediately what wasn't right. He needed to pee. And you know why he needed to pee? He'd be in, he needed to pee because he'd been in the car for 45 minutes and then we'd gotten to the beach and then he was so excited about being at the beach that the intact male didn't pee on anything for half an hour. So he really had to <laughs> pee. he was like, wait, <laughs> I made a mistake. I still have my toy. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Oh so my gosh. We were talking a little bit about like people like going, you know, be more interested in the toy play versus the guardian mm-hmm. stuff. And what I noticed when I asked people about this is what people were describing to me um, was actually resource guarding. Right. <laughs> like they didn't think it was resource guarding, but it was totally resource guarding. Do you have so some like, examples? I sure do. So things like um, how do I take the, the this toy that they're really excited away without them getting triggered and having really big feelings about it? That's resource guarding. Like if if the if the even if the the really big feeling is shrieking at the top of their lungs, yeah. Just because they're not biting you does not mean it's not resource guarding. Um, like how do I trade and drop things when the items have more value than food? Oh, my answer to that is, you we're, we're asking the wrong question at the wrong time. 
Exactly. Right. We can't change the value. Like, why do we need to take this thing away from them? Well, exactly. Right. And, and now what's going to happen if you force it, right? Like now, again, yes. let's say it is a needle. This is the one that I always use. My colleague, when he was a puppy, picked up a used needle. Now, I was really? not asking the question. I'm not trading for a new used needle. I just took the, and he was a rough colleague. So he was like, Ooh, oh, okay. well. I feel like I stereotype rough collies a little too much, but Percy but was they very are nice dogs. They're nice dogs. Totally nice dogs. Special. Potato, so. But he was like, whatever, and kept going. And versus like, if my dog, again, if my dog picks up a dead thing and starts running around with it, yeah, like picking up half a dead rabbit is pretty gross. It's but are not you going to die? That's not an emergency. That is my um, benchmarker for what what I do about something. So is this an emergency or not? And actually with Sansa, my resource guarder, who passed away back in February, we, I had a system with her. She was highly, highly allergic to beef. And sometimes because of Flash not being allergic to beef, he would sometimes have a bully stick. And if I wasn't paying attention, and this was obviously totally on me because why was I allowing a bully stick near her in the first place? But if she happened to get a bully stick, usually she would go and steal it out of my training bag. Um, I had to decide if this was worth the trip to the emergency room or if I could try to take it away from her because she would bite. Yeah. And in the last few years of her life, she wasn't allowed a rabies shot she had a medical exemption so it was extra important that she not bite yeah well, because she would so be treated again, like, like an unvaccinated dog no matter what she tired we're asking these questions too late if the dog already has the thing now we're in damage control moment like the, exactly again it's like the worst time to fix behavior is after behaviors happen if they've already got the thing and they're already trying to get it away from you the ship of like teachable moment has kind of sailed you can Completely dig the hole gone. deeper or you can do damage control. Those are kind of your only two options. Yep. And in those moments, damage control is how I managed it. And so what I would do is because oftentimes I would decide that it is not worth allowing her to slowly chew on this thing until it was gone and then take her to the ER. I have <laughs> shit to do. Um, I have places to be. And so what I would do is I would go into the pantry and grab a dehydrated duck foot, which was safe for her, and whip it at her. I wouldn't try to hit her with it. I just mean I will throw it in her direction away from me so that she would hear it clunk against the wall behind her or something and get up and go check it out and let me kind of covertly steal the bully stick there. And then I would give her on top of her new treasure there because she knew that she was leaving a treasure behind. So it's still kind of, I just didn't want to get bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I would still give her another duck foot. So she would get two duck feet for the price of one bully stick. Is that the most fair? No, because she really wanted the bully stick. But also, do I care in that moment? No, because my dog is safe. Yeah, exactly. And it works. And it works. Effective and safe. Effective and safe over everything else. Like those two things come first. Everything and after that i am a huge fan of especially with a dog who is known to bite and is known to at least air snap and and go up that 
ladder of aggression. If that thing is not your passport and you're traveling tomorrow, let them have it. If that thing isn't going to kill them, let them have it. Well, and so much can be said for just not creating a big scene out of everything. So, like, I'm also sure that you did not flip out at Sunset and scream and yell and run around. No, I acted as if she was allowed to have it. Exactly. And so, so often I see these problems either going in the guardy, like, down the guardy path, or in the, like, ha ha ha, I have a marvelous treasure and you will never catch me. Um, That path, or having way Mm -hmm. too much fun. Um, The root is they get a thing that we don't want them to have for whatever reason. And then we make a big scene of it. And we make a huge deal out of it. They get really stressed and really freaked out. And sometimes they go, Oh, that works. That's very effective to have a wonderful chase around the house. And it's so much fun. And maybe there is a little bit of worry because my people are yelling at me, but also like, oh my God, I'm getting all the attention. And we have the dogs who start to stress by getting sillier. It can be mm-hmm. very hard to tell the difference. Doodle owners. We stress so by getting sillier. Hard. Herding dog owners, depending on the herding dog, I've seen it with Aussies a lot. They get sillier the more the, stressed like, they class are. Class clown, frenetic. Like, what if exactly. I'm just so silly? And oh my god, look at me! And look, I picked up a Kong. And oh my god, don't touch me! And <laughs> exactly, so don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly like the class clowns, that's usually a coping mechanism in the dogs, just totally. as much as it is in the kids. Totally. The amount of doodle I used to, this is totally a tangent. I used to work, do a lot of like training for grooming mm-hmm. and the amount of doodle puppies that I've had sit on my head. Like, I believe like it. <laughs> I believe it. Like a raccoon hat. Yes. <laughs> that is too funny. That is so too many. funny. My God. So what are some of the things that folks have said? What other things? I know you read out one response, but like what? other things have they said about our double header so things like i let my dog sniff a dead thing the dead thing got picked up everyone had the best of intentions and now what (laughs) oh boy right So, so i've talked actually i talked really recently on social media about the fact that i let my dog sniff dead stuff yeah. And I actually will let him teeth chatter and lick dead things. And that's a personal choice. I'm not saying you have to let your dog lick dead things. I personally do. And there's a re- reason for that. And one of the reasons for that is he's a dog and he should do dog things. Um, but I have certainly noticed like anecdotally that when I've allowed these kinds of behaviors to happen, I get less picking up of dead things. I get less ingesting dead things and I get less rolling in dead things. And what I do is I actively shape disengagement in the moment. So if his head comes up from the dead thing, I'm going to mark and I'm going to throw food away from the dead thing. And then I'm going to let him choose if he wants to go back to it. And what this has resulted in in, is him going, oh, cool, dead thing. And then leaving it alone, (laughs) right? I do not have. It's almost like you let him satiate his curiosity, and that exactly. And I'm like, it's not that interesting, dude. It's just that stuff. 
like there's dead stuff and he will now like just step over things on the trail especially like smaller things he's really interested in thing in weird stuff so uh we found a like a carcass of a dead seal that was very interesting um we found squirrel jerky that was interesting but just like a dead mouse or something like that he does not care anymore and Good. this would not work if he already had really big feelings about dead things no it would not because then you would be doing damage control and you would have to be working against matching law hell and all of that exactly so you know there's a lot of ways that we can go we won't go into like a possible training plan because that's a whole other podcast episode but there's a lot of stuff that we can do but just if they've they're already ingesting everything and they're already rolling in everything just letting them have at it is uh um and so it comes down to a lot of teaching systems a lot and a lot of being proactive and a lot of working with what they're already giving you and i really hate to say this folks but an internalized it also has to do with an internalized at least from my point of view um flow chart that you have and you have memorized in your head if this then that if my dog picks up a rock what am i going to do so that if you already have those plans in place you can do it as nonchalantly as possible and turn it into a non-event for them to worry about why do i keep getting rocks taken away from me exactly and so like again i don't really want him eating squirrel jerky but i'm not super concerned with him like and he wasn't licking it like licking up food he was touching his tongue to it because that's what stud dogs do yep. sure. I, I actually have you know with in retrospect Wibble. with how he was um interacting with that little micro environment i'm pretty sure someone peed on it probably one of the coyotes um so there was that whole aspect too if he had picked it up what would i have done i would have said out and then i would have thrown cheese at him and then it would have been a non-issue exactly because these are prerequisite skills for being able to ask him to do yes things and if he'd been like no fuck you i don't want cheese i would have been like well learning too bad (laughs) teachable moment for me um you just said something there that Mm, i really liked it so you said these are prerequisite skills to be able to do anything that's something that I would tell folks when they're like, my dog doesn't want the cheese to give up the thing like you were reading out earlier. Well, first skill that I would teach the dog is how to eat food fluently. Secondly, I would create ritual around the food using location-specific markers. Then can I add value to the system and that reinforcement history and that reinforcement ritual then can I add value to it to make it as valuable or valuable enough to leave a thing? Exactly. And there it are takes a lot of, a lot of skills time. that I teach around stuff. I have specific nonverbal leave it cues. And I don't teach those with anything my dog cares. I teach those with really old bena bones that have been lying on my floor untouched for six weeks. Yep. That's what I do too. They do not care. <laughs> they do not care about these things. 
and I have more Benna Bones than you even can imagine because with Sansa being a resource guarder and me having multiple dogs and me wanting to be a lazy owner, I so I trained my dog, what a concept. Um, I created an abundance of Benna Bones. So I have for two dogs, 20 Benna Bones. My goodness. I keep finding ones that Percy has abandoned in different corners of my house because Biscuit doesn't Yeah. Like but Biscuit doesn't like them, which means they're the perfect thing to teach Biscuit to leave if step on. Exactly. And that's the thing is we try to up our value of the things that we are teaching dogs to leave alone far too quickly. I think so too. And I also think, again, like there are things that I'm not going to win. There are things that I'm not going to get into a fight about. Like, like getting into a physical fight with a dog is optional. <laughs> It's very true. It's very right. optional. I even, highly recommend even, not doing that. And that doesn't mean don't handle the dog. Yeah. Right. There's a difference between like, so way back when I worked as a rehab vet technician and it was there late an afternoon and I had this golden leftover <laughs> and he was very sweet. <laughs> and so I had him off leash and I knew he was a little bit guardy. So I was keeping an eye on him and somehow he got himself a piece of saran wrap with like two crumbs on it and he was like i will like go to war over this and my immediate reaction had been to grab his muzzle yeah because he's right next to me and so we're standing there looking at each other and i'm going if i let go you're gonna bite me and he's going if you let go i'm gonna bite you i'm like okay well guess we're not letting go into a situation here (laughs) So I reached behind me and I grabbed food and I, and this, you said, I don't, like not throwing food at Sansa's face. I actually like with velocity Whipped dumped it. it on his head so that he would, cause again, I did be it almost like, startled back. Yeah. And I knew he would be obsessive about it. And so he spat out the plastic and ate all the cookies and then had another scatter and was cool. That's not like, I could have in that moment with my hand on his muzzle which again, it was like, maybe not the best choice I've ever made, but totally just well. a reflex. I could have then tried to pull that thing away from him. I could have, I could have let go and then he could have gone after me. Like so many things could have escalated that. Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. And again, this is not a dog training moment. We are not dog no. training. We are getting out of this with everybody's fingers intact and nobody having swallowed plastic (laughs) we call that damage control exactly so choosing to not get into a battle over things might look like just taking the needle away from the dog yep if that's a safe thing to do because sometimes going for that trade even though it's something you've taught your dog to do with a yogurt lid that needle, that used needle, is going to be way more interesting and novel, and so therefore harder to let go and harder to drop, and you're going to get into a fight. Leave it, 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 leave it. And also, if we have a history of getting into these conflicts, then the conflict itself is begetting more conflict. Correct. The less conflict that you can do... If they already know that when I have a thing, my people start yelling and coming towards me, that means they're going to chase me. That's going to be varying levels between fun, exciting, and terrifying, over-arousing. That starts yes. to feed it. That feeds itself, and that feedback loop starts getting going. 
And so if you can be smooth and swift in those moments where it is an actual safety concern. And don't oh. have a physical fight with the dog. Please don't have a physical fight with the dog. Just let or a the, mental the dog fight with the dog. Just do not. Just don't fight with the dog. Generally speaking, as the primate with the opposable thumbs and the really complicated brain and the car keys and the credit card, choose to not have a battle with the dog. Just please make that choice. Like Liza said, it's a choice. Make it. Um. And how you're talking about all the different conflicts and the amount of conflict that we're trying to reduce when it comes to resource guarding. This is why resource guarding is actually really highly comorbid with conflict control aggression. Mm -hmm. Because it's two sides of the same coin. It's all about conflict. It's so easy for one to produce the other. Correct. Right. So if I have a dog who's say maybe guarding, I'm remembering a case that from like many, many moons ago with the terrier. Um, good dog was guarding the bed, and then the owners would try to move him off of the bed. And mm-hmm. terrier, he was like, oh, uh, no. the hell you won't. It's not happening. And then this turns into a conflict control issue. Correct. Or we have a dog who is having some conflict control issues, and then people keep taking his stuff. And he's like, actually, I do have a problem with this. And no, we have a problem with each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I see this is why I'm so fascinated at how little interest resource guarding garnered. Because look at how fascinating this topic is in and of it's itself. So and we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we don't want to get into it too much because like actually this webinar is going to be very cool this is this is adam's half of the webinar and i'm going to be talking about again it's just a thing that i wish we took so much more seriously so (laughs) it's funny so people said that they're much they're really interested in the in the toy play one Mm -hmm. and the comments that they had about toy play were mostly about resource guarding yeah and (laughs) the things that i concern myself much more so is the overexcitement and the over arousal around toys that doesn't tend to look like growly, lungy, snappy, yeah. snappy stuff. The dog who cannot get out of heel position because I'm holding a stick, even though we're off leash in the woods. Yep. My dog who needs a system around putting his toy down so he can drink water. Yeah. The dogs who have to take their toy to go outside to go pee. Yes, that's a big one. Wibble. Wibble. So Wibble has very big toy feelings. Wibble's the stinking cutest. Um, and so many of these behaviors, I think the reason why, like if I had to guess, I would think there there's a reticence to call anything other than teeth on skin. And there is a reticence to call anything other than interpersonal conflict with the dog toy issues. Because toy issues aren't like none of this is actually about my feelings about the toy. No. All is about my dog's mental health and their ability to do the things that they need to do, whether that's training, whether that's decompressing properly, whether that's resting properly, whatever it is. 
And it's not landing themselves in a merge because they swallowed their teddy. Oh, oh, you just made me think of a story of remember how I know they've talked about this publicly, so I don't feel bad about saying this out loud. When Winnie, the GSP, um, first started going off leash when she was younger and everything, her owner thought they had a rock solid recall because she constantly was using a ball. And Winnie would recall to this ball. But Until... when the ball went away, her recall went away as well. And when there was something better than the ball. And exactly. Like and over and over and over. And over time, more and more things became more interesting than the ball because the ball had so much conflict built in around it. And I know like you and I are going to be talking about Winnie probably for the next 20 years because this dog is fascinating. So She's fascinating. The people ever. And we both get to nerd out on it constantly. But that specifically, I thought I had a rock solid X because there was a toy on the other end of it. Yep. I hear that with, I haven't done the math, a, a majority of the dogs that I work with. Mm-hmm. I thought that my dog would always come when they called. I thought that they, I can get, they can walk next to me as long as I'm carrying a toy. They can do it if the toy is there. So mm. They can't do it then. <laughs> they, then they, they can't, can't do, do it. it. They don't know how to do it. They're just following the toy. They're just following the toy lore. They're not thinking. No. And here's the thing. And you're saying all this. And I'm like, I know many, many people and many teams that this is the exact same thing. And then I think about how I taught Wibble a stay was actually with a toy. But it's fluent without a toy and it's non-conflict without a toy. So just because I taught him with one reinforcer and it's a toy, which he has very big feelings about. And I taught him this before he had conflict built in with those with those toy feelings. So it was just happy and obsessive and so excited. And if I was able to build that behavior with those kind of feelings and transfer it to a different reinforcer, that means he actually learned the skill. He was thinking, thinking, he was thinking. So like, and that's, again, like, I don't want to suggest that we shouldn't be using toys here at all because like, no, not at all. For example, I have a dog who is fully not allowed a chuck it ball because his brain melts and comes out of his ears, except, except. Then I was like, bullshit. I need to teach him an, like a emergency stop, like a stop cue for field work. Yep. And there's only so far that I can personally, like I am not an athlete. There's only so far that I can personally throw a ball. Yep. And then I had to backtrack and teach him how to function around a check it stick. Yep. Um, Remember that? Talk about it in the webinar, like how we actually did the teaching biscuit, how to function around a check it stick. Um, and now I can use it as a reinforcer. But I did have, this was a dog who, you know, had had a few years of brain melt come out ears every time a chuck a stick. Like, he'd see the stick, guys, and just, like, be, like, yeah. shaking. Be like, oh, my mind. God, it's going to happen. And, again, this is the dog who has to have a system around having a ball to be able to drink and eat food. But he's still able to learn for those if there is a system intact and if I am careful with him and if I'm paying attention to him and staying in conversation with him. 
do you remember when we first started talking about trying to create that system? And I'm like, well, can he function with it in the closet with the door closed? And can he function with it in the closet with the door open? Do you remember all that? Like, I know we had to, we had to get very creative <laughs> to start with, but he picked it up quite quickly. He picked it up. Yeah. Than once I he picked he it up, it was like that. He was like, oh, okay. Because his learning brain was on. You were being so intentional with that particular reinforcer that there was no obsessive conflict building and coercion. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. It's so cool. And it is like, again, we're talking about dogs who will do dumb stuff to get their reinforcers. Right. Again, I'm going to be yep. saying this about Biscuit forever. This is the dog who thinks he should be allowed to jump off a cliff because there's ocean at the bottom of the cliff. He is wrong. He should not be allowed to do that. He will die if he does that, right? <laughs> he really thinks he should be allowed to do that. Um, so he and really Felix careful. should talk. All right. Now, I look, again, I work with a lot of dogs who are very, like, like literally quite closely related with him. And I work with a lot of dogs who are in the same group and subgroup as him. And a lot of those behaviors are labeled as cute. Yep. They're labeled as just having a good time. Yep. They're um, labeled as high drive sometimes, depending on the behavior, is, like, depending that on is, the group. Like, you know, where is the line between high drive and high arousal? How do those things function together? That Again, that's another podcast. Holy crap. But, yeah. like, just because it's high drive does not mean it's functional. Yep. Just because it looks cute to me does not mean it is serving the dog. That's how I feel about um, side tangent, um, over-friendly greetings. Mm -hmm. Just because you think it's cute doesn't mean that your dog is not an anxious ball of mess right now. Yeah, and I would say the same thing. Just because your dog has to go and take the toy from everybody at the dog park. Just because that's not... Like maybe they maybe they're not they're not growling. Maybe you don't nope. care. Yep. That internal motivation being that strong. I question how healthy that is. Maybe it's fine in some dogs in some situations, but I ask the question. Yep. And I think we always need to be in the position of asking the second question. What's happening? We notice what's happening. Okay, why is it happening? What is the effect on the dog of that thing happening? Because again, we have a duty of care. We do. And so it's not okay to just leave things at face value or just sort of accept them. We always have to ask those couple of extra questions and make sure that we're doing our due diligence. Yeah. Well, I think if people are not sold on this webinar doubleheader at this point, we're never going to sell them on it. <laughs> So the cool thing about the webinar is that we are doing it together, which means we're going to do a Q&A together, which means we're both going to be talking about both things and how they relate to each other back and forth. And we both have ADHD. So, you know, it'll be fun. It, it'll be great. <laughs> it's going to be great fun. Um, but the webinars are not going to be available together afterwards. So you're not, if you want to get the Q&A and you want to get the two of them together, you should sign up. It will be recorded. Um, but then after that, they are going to be available separately. So this will be the only time that you can get them for the for the lowest price that you can get them at and together and with the Q&A. With the double Q&A, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's really well nice. worth it. And you guys have a week. Um, at the time that this drops, it will we will be presenting in a week and a day. So it's going to be Wednesday, September 13th at 6 p.m. Central Time is start time. And again, buy it ahead of time. The recording will be available to you, including that Q&A if you buy it ahead of time. If you're not there, uh, if you can't make it. So buy it so you have it and you have access to it. Also, I'm not done mine. So I'm not done mine either. Like I <laughs> keep wanting to go you back. If really want us to talk about, you can you can email us and we'll see if we email can talk us, about it. DM like, us, figure it out. Very yeah. much. I'm I'm not done. I have ADHD, but I'm mostly done. And it's I'm mostly pretty, done, but I keep changing cool. things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I there's just so much I want to say. Like I could teach a six week class on this. Oh I my gosh, as a workshop. I I mean I do eight week BMOD programs on this kind of stuff. Like, yeah at least like it, it's endlessly complicated so it is so endlessly calm yeah it's amazing absolutely so i will link in the show notes where you can sign up for this amazing webinar i will link liza's contact information for everybody who wants to talk about ball feelings um in the show notes and yeah i really think that's it for for now awesome We'll see you guys soon. Thank you for coming on. It was great to talk to you and I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support the podcast in a more tangible way, you can head over to my Patreon linked in the show notes and show your support that way. Until next time.